This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today I'm joined with a special guest, Celeste of Carest. And she's got her own fashion brand over here, Carest is a new American luxury brand offering on-demand couture. So we're excited to have you on the podcast, Celeste. Excited to learn a little bit more about you and your founder story. So if you want to go ahead and take the mic and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, your business. Sure. Thanks for having me. I love what you're doing. I love podcasts. They're super fun. So I'm really excited to be here today. Carest is a, as you said, it's a new American luxury brand. We make on demand and we are a fully sustainable business model. So we have zero waste. What we do for customers is really revolutionary in the industry right now, especially in the wake of COVID. Um, if you are following you know, the business of fashion as it is today, um, the landscape is pretty dire. It's a pretty much a bloodbath between retailers and brands going bankrupt and everybody's swimming in all of this inventory that they mass produced based on sales forecasts. And we don't do that. We do the exact opposite. We make a collection. Uh, we bring it to life with samples. We shoot it. And then if a customer, we get, we get it up on the website. And if a, if a customer wants to buy it, then we make it. So Jay, if you wanted to wear a caftan and you went on to order a caftan today, um, we would receive your order. We would make your caftan and in eight days and then uh, in a few days extra, it would ship direct to you. So zero waste, zero extra stuff sitting around. So in a nutshell, that is what Crest is. <laughs> that's really incredible. You know, that's what really, I guess made me want to talk to you is the fact that you guys are doing a business model that's just so unique, especially in fashion. Uh, I've never heard anything about anyone doing something like this. So it's really cool to just hear that story. Um, would love to learn kind of a little bit more about you and your experience in fashion. How did you kind of get into the fashion industry? So, oh gosh. Well, let's see. I mean, I started working in consumer and in fashion pretty like before I graduated. I did an internship at Converse and then I went and worked in the outdoor industry for great brands like the North Face, uh, Jan Sport. I've worked across a ton of brands. What enabled me to do so is my background in PR and marketing. So in PR, uh, in public relations, after I left in-house, I went to work agency. And that's kind of where I went full in and worked across every single vertical. And when I, this is in New York. And when I, when I was living in New York, what really kind of shaped one of the macro events that shaped, you know, my trajectory was the 2008 crisis where it was the same story. <laughs> it was the mortgage meltdown and People stopped shopping and we had a really nice PR fashion PR agency on Park Avenue. Our clients started dropping like flies because all of the retailers were bouncing boxes. That means that the brands took orders from these factories. I'm sorry, the, the brands took orders from these retailers, got their factories to make the orders. So thousands upon thousands of units that, that like, for example, Saks Fifth Avenue had committed to, and then the meltdown happened. And then Saks said, nope, just kidding. I can't buy this anymore and sent it all back to, to the brands. And then the brands were like, oh, uh, what do we do now? 
we we have all the stuff and they're not buying it and we paid to produce it and we have other bills. And so eventually they went bankrupt. And so it just kind of, you can see how it like all goes down the chain. But that is to say that that was an early experience in my career that really shaped my trajectory and my thought process about waste in the fashion industry and, you know, got me kind of thinking about, okay, well, how can we avoid this? How can we do better? I mean, it's only taken 12 years (laughs) to realize this problem again, but at least now, I mean, in 2008, when I first was working in fashion, people weren't really talking about it at all, actually. I mean, now it's a really big thing. So we're, we're delighted it's a big thing, but we hate that it's come um, as a result of a pandemic. Yeah, I've definitely heard a little bit more about fashion sustainability. I think I was watching something on Netflix, actually, about how much waste there is in the industry, which is really crazy. Kind of talking about, you know, your brand that you've created over here, Caress. How long have you been planning to kind of do this thing? How long did it take you to kind of launch? And where are you at right now in that process? Planning goes back to, let me just think here. It was, we started to formulate the idea in the fall of 2017. And, oh my God, it feels like a lifetime ago. It takes a while to get all everything in a row, uh, get all your ducks in a row, get all your team members in a row, get really work with your supply chain. I mean, our supply chain is something that really is a differentiator for us. There are other brands that that make on demand, none of them at the luxury level. Our factory makes for Burberry, our factory makes for Chloe. So that really sets us apart, but that took a while to get up and running and, and perfect. So while we started the conversations um, and getting the brand going and the idea going, we didn't fully launch really until the end, the very end of 2018. And 2019 was our first year in beta. So 2020, like beta anything, right? You're like figuring everything out and you're we're gathering customer data and we're getting a lot of feedback. We're still perfecting. And then here we are, 2020. I mean, that's a really short way of, you know, it's been... First first year of business is, I mean, a million things come your way. Yeah, I can only imagine. So I know your business model is really unique. So I really want to dive in a little bit more into the model itself. Uh, so Caresta is on demand right now. Is your plan to keep it on demand? Is there ever a space for potentially retail or what are your thoughts on that? I have learned as a founder, never say never because you just don't know um, what <laughs> what may transpire. So right now, yes, our focus is online. Um, we are not against retail, but we are not going head first into retail right now. Our, our primary focus right now is growing our own um, community through our Give Back initiative. Of course, our, our community today has incredible founding members, including um, Andre Rockefeller. We've got Helena Christensen as a member, Nikki Dean, Rachel Hilson. I mean, we've got some really, really, really phenomenal women who have stepped up and said, raised their hand and said, I really want to be a part of this community. So continuing to grow our own community on our site and then also doing some partnerships, whether it's with a luxury retailer like like a Net-A-Porter or like a Moto Operandi, that is where we're really focused and doing some like design and print collaborations. But all of that will exist for the near term in the online space. Cool. That's awesome. So for brands that 
other fashion brands that are maybe intrigued by this idea of on-demand fashion, how can, what would you suggest to other brands that might be interested in this in terms of creating the sustainable model? Oh boy, (laughs) that's a good one. Okay, so what would I suggest? I would suggest that one, have enough capital to last you two years. And if you don't um, have enough capital to last you two years, be okay not getting paid or having a having a second income. So whether it's waitressing or whatever, you're having a day job and then you do everything else at night. That is my number one recommendation. It, of course, is harder to go out and raise money on an idea. Um, but maybe you've got friends and family or like a Kickstarter campaign to like get you some some um, gas in the tank for, for launch. Um, the other thing I would say is to spend plenty of time testing um, and to really, really, really focus on worst case scenario, because like I mean, we're living in a worst case scenario right now. I mean, being an entrepreneur, you're always a little bit, at least me, like idealistic and like, I can do this. And, you know, you <laughs> optimistic, you wouldn't have jumped, you know, headfirst into the deep end if you didn't have some, you know, faith that you'll be able to swim but anticipate that like, yeah, when you jump in, there's also, there might be like a shark in there or, you know, there's the bad things will happen. And the one thing that I will really stress is to really, really, really take the time to, to vet people when you're hiring them. Um, This is something that I have made mistakes on. I mean, I think that every founder has made mistakes on like, I think that every, anybody who's hired somebody probably has made hiring mistakes but to take your time when, when hiring and be fast with the firing. <laughs> well, that's, that's definitely a great tip. I'm sure a lot of our audience can use that because we do have a lot of founders that listen to the podcast as well. Um, shifting gears a little bit, I read about your pop-up that you had in San Francisco, and I'd just love to learn a little bit more. Like, how did that work? Obviously, you know, your fashion is on demand. So uh, I would just love to hear a little bit more about that. Great question. Yeah. So we've done a ton of pop-ups. We did pop-ups in, this is part of our year in beta where we, we did pop-ups at, in, um, in the Palisades in Los Angeles. We did pop-ups in New York. We did pop-ups in San Francisco with a number of, you know, like top tier retailers and partners. So the way that we did our pop-ups, this is a, this goes back to your first question, which is, you know, spend the time testing. It was a great way for us to get, this is the one thing that the online space lacks. Like you cannot get live feedback from people as easily as you can when you're like at a pop-up. So um, it was a really, 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 really great way for us to gather feedback, to like really see what people liked to interact with. Um, So the way that we would execute that was we would take a sample set and set up a a shop and shop, you know, with a retailer or, you know, do a trunk show in in someone's living room. And folks would come and try on, and then they would have their order shipped directly to them. So they would try on to make, you know, to get the perfect fit, uh, to feel the quality, you know, to definitely see the color. And then, uh, you know, we, we gathered so much intel from working on the ground. We also did the women's conferences, which were phenomenal. We were in Austin doing the Texas conference for women. We did the one in Boston. We did the one in Philly. We did the one in Silicon Valley. Same thing. Got a booth, set up your, set up your product. Women come in touch and love. And 
give you more info. It's like being a hairdresser, give you more info than you ever thought you could get from a stranger. But um, it worked out well and it, it eventually got us to where we are now, which is, you know, now we've got, we've got the data, we've iterated, we have pushed out a new collection. And now in this COVID world, we are, of course, not focusing on pop-ups, but we're okay with that because we, you know, been there, done that. That doesn't mean we won't do it again. But right now, if we got what we needed to go full force in the direction that we're going now. That's great to hear. So talking about the brand itself, Carest, how, so you mentioned earlier in this podcast that, you know, there are some other on-demand fashion brands that are in the space, but no one's really doing luxury on-demand fashion. So what kind of came first? Was it the idea that you wanted to do something on demand or was it the idea that you wanted to create a luxury brand? That's a great question. We knew that we wanted to do something, number one, different. Number two, in the sustainability area and luxury was kind of a given for us because of our designer and her background. I mean, she is a luxury designer. She worked directly with Giorgio Armani. She worked directly with Sonia Riquiel. She worked at Ferragamo. She worked at Pucci. And this goes back to your supply chain, right? Like th- those were the connections that we had. They were to luxury factories. They were not to swimwear factories, <laughs> right? So the luxury part was less of a question in our mind because we knew It was just kind of inherent in working together that that's where our expertise was. Um, Of course, there's also the exercise of pricing, which will put you in one category or another. But really, you know, our pricing is much more attainable than any other luxury brand. And where we blow the other folks out of the water is that our fabric and our quality and our make is second to none. I mean, there are constantly women come up in in one, one of our prints in particular, the monkey print. Everybody thinks it's an Hermes shirt, which we're delighted. We're like, great. We love that you think that this is a $3,000 shirt, but it's not. It's, you know, a $400 shirt. And yes, we realize that $400 is not attainable for everyone. But when you, when it comes down to pricing, I mean, these are, this is luxury quality silk that, you know, is, it does not cost $2 a meter, right? So like polyesters, And this is why this is, you know, a big area of focus for us is that to to really educate folks on why you spend more money on certain things. And there's we love that the that, you know, in the macro space that people are talking about, you know, buy investment pieces, they will last longer. Um, They are worth the price tag. Um, If you buy polyester or any other synthetic fabrics, they are literally two dollars a meter whereas when you so if you think about like okay it's just two dollars for a meter and then you think about all the other little costs that come into play when you're making a shirt then you're like oh okay well that's why this shirt costs 25 dollars or 50 dollars and then when you look at like finer natural fabrics like silks and wools and blends those can cost anywhere from 20 dollars a meter to 70 dollars a meter so that's you know, it's, it is worth it to make that investment into the natural fabrics and a better quality shirt that will endure the test of time in your closet. That is a really long answer, but I'm very passionate about all of this. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that and getting in such detail over there. Um, that's really great. So talking a little bit about the brand growth itself, what are your channels? Like, what are you using to help drive brand growth? What's been really big for helping to adopt your brand? 
for us, the first year was all about in-person. We were acquiring customers in-person. We Online was not a focus for us. So that was our main acquisition channel was pop-ups. Now that we are in, living in this COVID world, we are shifting everything more towards online and acquiring customers in the online space. So, I mean, that is notoriously difficult. I mean, I think that the the, the, you know, the, the early players made it look super easy, but they were super early in when there was not a lot of competition and they were able to kind of hack these, these growth engines and like hack Facebook in a way that other people weren't doing at the time. So yes, it is more crowded, but advertising and costs online in general are coming down right now. Unfortunately, that is because a lot of players have gone bankrupt, but you know, there, there's, you know, there are fewer players in the in the online ad space. That is to say, we love press. We love PR. We think that, you know, very, very highly of acquiring customers and spending a lot of time and effort in free PR. Of course, online paid acquisition is always there, but it's something that you have to realize that you may not get the highest quality customer out of the gate. Like you may collect emails and you may get folks on your site, but it might take a little bit longer to push them through the funnel. And that's why we focused on pop-ups so much the first year, because for us, seeing is really believing. But this, you know, when if you if you kind of add in, if you kind of look at those two beliefs where you think like online is expensive, but it's necessary. And then seeing is believing for us that leads us to, you know, influencers and really getting and, you know, work really working the press angle and the uh, publicity angle of like getting folks in product, getting people talking about your product third parties, not just ourselves, because any brand can go and say like, I'm the best, I'm the greatest, here's my pretty ad. But having that like third party validation is huge. For sure. We've talked to other brands as well, and they've said kind of the same thing. So it makes total sense. Uh, I got a couple more questions for you over here. One of them is, so we do have fashion brands that obviously listen to this podcast. There are brands on trend that are in fashion as well. And some of them are more early stage. I know you've had a ton of experience in the fashion industry. Your co-founder has also had a lot of experience in the fashion industry. So what would you suggest for other fashion brands really trying to, to make it and break, break into the market, whether they're doing on-demand or not on-demand? I would suggest that it's that having a clear differentiator out of the gates is critical uh, because trends are one thing, but like from a business perspective... Um, having a clear differentiator is really going to help. And then the other thing is, I remember one of my mentors when I first met him, I was in college and he asked me, Celeste, what do you think is more important, product or marketing? And immediately I said, product, product is so important. Product, it's all, all, all about product. And then immediately upon like that leaving my mouth, I was like, no, 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 no. No, marketing is way more important than product. And I still stand by, I mean, listen, we make a beautiful, phenomenal product, but you can make a beautiful, well-crafted, phenomenal, gorgeous, lustworthy item that no one ever hears about because you don't do any marketing. So <laughs> I will say to really, really, really focus on the marketing and be very, 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 very disciplined in the marketing and selecting your vendors and really, really spending the time on brand development and maintaining with, 
you know, really, really, really strict guardrails, all of your branding pillars and your voice, um, and making sure that everybody as a team is on the same page. One thing that's really, really important and, and tricky with startups is when you have a small team, the mistakes are felt, they reverberate and they're felt much deeper than if it's one person making a mistake on a 50 person team. Um, and I mean, it, it can, one person's mistake can kill a brand, can kill a startup, which that's hard to hear, but it's the bitter truth. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so I guess my final question over here before we kind of part is what's next for Caress? What do you guys have lined up? What's, what's kind of the plan that you guys are trying to go for? You know, continuing to grow our community is paramount for us and continuing our give back initiative. Of course, I didn't mention that earlier, but we have partnered with Frontline Foods and we do a give back to them. They work with uh, black owned restaurants to feed minority, I'm sorry, to feed frontline workers. Um, so we, we love that that partner is really playing into what's going on currently. So our give back initiative and growing our community, as well as, um, you know, continuing brand growth through strategic partners. Um, that's what's next. And of course you'll see newness in the collection, but, um, you know, we got to get this baby out there. We got to, we got to get more people on board and, and supporting. And, and we have, um, really strong momentum right now and we're really excited about it. Definitely. That's great to hear. Well, I think that wraps up all the questions that I have, Celeste. So thank you so much for joining the podcast. And before we kind of put an end to it, where can people learn more about you and Carest? People can learn more about Carest by going to Carest.com, C-A-R-E-S-T-E.com. Or you can visit our Instagram, Carest Official. And we're all there. <laughs> so the thanks for having me. It's been really fun. And as I said earlier, I'm very passionate about this stuff and I'm, I'm happy to help in any way I can. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much again for joining us. And thanks for everybody that's listening to the podcast. And we will see you next time on the DTC pod.